0: Well, our series is Lies We Believe, and as you can tell, it has tremendous potential for personal impact and beyond in uh, every one of our lives. Wherever you're joining us today, we welcome you to Christ's Journey here in South Florida, across the nation, around the world, and our hearts especially are praying for those in the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey, and uh, we actually, we already have a team that's there, and uh, if and so we want to pray for all of those that have that this morning are not having the pleasure of worshiping in a facility, but are, are dealing with the aftermath. So please join us in prayer for them. And then those that are in the path of Irma. So heads up, get ready, let's pray. But I come to you in the name of Jesus, who can meet us in the storm and take us through. Um, somebody said... Human beings can last, can live 40 days without food, four days without water, four minutes without air, without oxygen, and four seconds without hope. Hope is essential. Theologian Jürgen Moltmann says, what oxygen is to the body, so hope is to the soul. We don't live without it. He goes on to say this, hell is hopelessness. It is no accident that above the entrance to Dante's hell is this inscription, leave behind all hope, you who enter here. Hope matters. But it's hard to quantify, isn't it? Uh, you can't see it, and yet it's real. We know it's real. But you can't see oxygen. It's invisible gas. Element number eight on the... Uh, periodic table. You're breathing it right now without even knowing it. You're without even thinking. But if you were to lose your breath, you would suddenly be undeniably aware (laughs) of that fact. And when people lose hope, it's devastating. Dictionary.com defines hope this way. Hope is the feeling that what is wanted can be had the feeling that what is wanted can be had and then it goes on to say that events will turn out for the best now last month i heard a report that uh, has haunted me ever since for the first time in 100 years life expectancy has gone down in america did you know this have you seen this report Research published in 2015 shows as other rich countries continue to climb uh, upward in their length of life, downward in their mortality, America is going the other direction. The red line on this chart reflects that research. In America, deaths have gone up. The Nobel laureate co-author of the report says this, that means that half a million people are dead that should not be dead. Statistically. Why? What are we dying from? Suicide, drug overdoses, mostly prescription by the way, alcohol and uh, drug poisonings. They are being called deaths of despair. Deaths of despair. And they're affecting people 45 to 54, reflected in this research, mostly non-Hispanic whites. But in the 20 years between 1990 and 2010, deaths from drug overdoses for people 45 to 64, widening a little bit farther, 45 to 64 increased 11-fold. A Center for Disease Control report says that alcohol poisoning kills 2,200 Americans every year, three-fourths are adults, ages 35 to 64, so it keeps getting wider. Why, why is that happening? Drinking, doping, suicide, these are things that people with with hope don't tend to do. But people who are despairing, people who are depressed. The researchers note that some contributing factors might be economic and social, that's their background. They say people without college degrees, who can't get jobs, who don't have the security to get married and are without savings for retirement, really to them, the future is bleak. So that's one of the lenses they're looking through. Many baby boomers, the report says, are the first to find in midlife that they will not be better off than their parents. They've been raised on the promise of the American dream and, uh, and it's proving to be too much. It is crashing down on them. This is their interpretation. Did you know pets eat better in America than many people in the world? How ironic is this, that, that this could happen in a nation with so much? Years ago, Lisa and I were in Egypt And she had just told a young person who was trying to make a little money by selling stuff, you know, I'm sorry, we're poor Americans. And the the young man said this, poor American, rich Egyptian. And he was right. The facts today are these. If you are making over $37,000 a year, you are richer than 96% of the world the entire world's population. You're in the top 4% of wage earners in the world. Now, in light of that, how can it be, how can anybody despair? Right? Unless there's something else going on, something that we are believing that is leading people to feel hopeless. Like what? Well, remember the definition of hope. Hope is the feeling that what is wanted can be had. Maybe some are feeling like what they want is never going to come true. And as a result, things are not gonna turn out as they expected to be best and they've lost hope. Why? Uh, What if, what if what you feel you lack will never and will never have, what if that's what breeds despair? Now think with me a little bit here. What if what we are believing is less than what's real, less than what's true? What if we've been fooled? mean, could that happen? Our new series is Lies We Believe. Would you agree with this? That each of us, every one of us, we can all be fooled. We can all be deceived. You know, I like watching the show Penn and Teller uh, fooled us. Seen that? Penn and Teller are professional musicians, magicians who fool people for a living. And they have this show out of Las Vegas where they invite other magicians to come in and do their best act. And if any of them can fool Penn and Teller, I mean, there's no money involved, but they get this cheesy little trophy and then uh, bragging rights that they fooled the best and then they invite them to come and do the act in their show. Is it possible, could it be, that people in America can be fooled? Maybe even somebody in this room, say. Maybe that we have been misled and then misdirected into believing something that's not fully true and it's actually costing us and it's robbing our hope. This is, this is dangerous territory, I know that, but could it be that there are lies in our culture that when people believe them, they have the power to suck the hope right out of you? Is that a possibility? And leave you feeling despair that what you want can't be had. And if that's the case, then when a dream dies, where do you go for hope? There's an intriguing story in the Bible, 2 Kings 5, that helps me out here. It's a story about a great man. Naaman, he's the commander of the Syrian army, Israel's opponent at that time. And Naaman is commanding the opposition forces. But his was a life of uh, of greatness. I mean, he's got, he's got lots of success. He's got power. He's got position. He's got possessions. But he also has this very great problem. He has leprosy, which in his day, there was no known cure. It's like AIDS, one of the most feared diseases of his time and one day an israelite girl that his one of his squads had uh, abducted from her home it was a kidnapping they stole her from her home and brought her to his home so that she could be the servant girl for his wife and one day please read the story for yourself but that girl said if my master would go to the prophet in samaria he would be cured So Naaman went to the king, his own king, and the king gave him a letter uh, for the king of Israel and he said, go. So Naaman went toward the king of Israel. He takes like 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, 10 sets of clothing from the wardrobe. I mean, he is loaded for bear, right? And uh, he gave the letter to the king in Israel who when he gets it, he reads the letter and he tears his robes in dismay and says this, am I God (laughs) That that I can give life and then take it away? that I can cure leprosy he's picking a fight you know he's using this to get nations at war with each other but when Elisha the man of God heard that the king had torn his robes he said send Naaman to me so Naaman went, horses, chariots, the full entourage, goes to Elisha's house. And Elisha doesn't come out, he sends his servant out, and the servant simply tells Naaman with these instructions, you need to go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River, and your skin will be restored. You'll be cleansed. Well, Naaman got insulted. <laughs> I mean, he's a great man. He got angry. He, uh, he, said, he said, I thought, the man of God would come out to me. And I thought that he would wave his hand around and he would would call on the name of his God and he would heal me. We got three rivers in Damascus that are better than than any river in Israel. Why can't I wash in them and be healed? And so he goes off in a rage. But some of his party follow him and... um, And they essentially say, sir, you know, if the prophet had told you to go do something great, wouldn't you do it? How much more when he says go wash and be cleansed? Well, somehow they convince him So he goes down to the Jordan River, dips himself seven times. One, two, three, you know, seven times. And sure enough, on the seventh time, he comes out, his skin is restored to the flesh of a little boy. Well, the light comes on in his head and he goes back to Elisha. He declares his faith in Elisha's God, the God of Israel, as the true God of the whole world. And then he says, now, let me pay you." and Elisha won't take anything. The gift of God is not for sale, okay? Now, the story goes on, but let's just stop there and ask the essential question. Where does hope come from? Where does hope come from? Ultimately, here's what the story says. Not from power, and Naaman had a bunch of that. Not from position, he was high ranking. Not from possessions, he had tons. Naaman's got all of those, but they did not fulfill his hopes. It's not his economy, it's not his connection to the highest and political power that does it, because he's got that. It's not his marriage, it's not his education. Where does hope come from in the story? It springs from the gift of God's grace that is beyond price and can't be repaid. It can be received, but it can't be repaid. And then something else we learn, Hope isn't derived from having our expectations met. That's interesting. Hope isn't derived from having our expectations met from getting what we want in our circumstances. Where do I see that? Well, first, you got this kidnapped girl. She didn't want to be taken away from her home, did she? She didn't ask to be snatched away and then transplanted in a foreign country to serve some guy's wife. She didn't ask for that. And yet, what do we see in the story? She's brimming with hope. I mean, she's like a little hope fountain. When she hears about her abductor's needs, she says, I know somebody that could make a difference for you. Hadn't killed her hope, her circumstances. Naaman, he expected a great show from the great man of God, you know, that would be equal to his personal greatness, god 's going to have a plan in place that's going to be that 's going to match my expectation. Of course, God had a plan in place, but to get in on it, Naaman was going to have to have an expectation adjustment so here 's something else that shows up for me in the story sometimes hope, true hope requires an expectation adjustment, a recalibration of our wants, a rebooting of our settings a um, a reordering of perspective that usually involves a letting go of uh, what is less than real, what is less than true. Now, that raises this question. What are some of the less than trues in our culture that set us up for what's happening in America? How about this? You can have it all. You can have it all. I mean, if enough is good and more is better, then you know what's best? All, right? You know this one. <laughs> All is what's going to make you happy, right? I mean, that sounds right and we want it to be true, but it's not. What if all is false hope that breeds despair? Is it possible to die of despair in a nation that is richer than 96% of the world's population? The evidence seems to be saying so. Which raises the question where have we heard this temptation of all before? Oh, I know. Jesus, in the wilderness temptation, guess what the devil said? You gotta have stuff. That was the first temptation. You gotta have stuff. Turn these rocks into stuff. What does Jesus say? Takes more than bread. Takes the word of God. Truth is how we see through the lies. But the devil didn't give up. You know, he came back again, right? Took him to a high precipice. And what did the devil say? He shows him all the kingdoms of the world, with all their splendor, and says, all this I will give to you. All you gotta do is just let me be the focus of your daily heart and mind. I know you said worship, but you know that's what worship is. Worship is the daily focus of your heart and mind. What does Jesus say? Leave me alone. You know what, God already has my focus. He's the reason I bow down. He's the reason I rise up. I worship the God who is over all. And that's more than enough for me. Now, what does that mean to us? Here's what I think. I think it means that you're meant for more than failed expectations due to misplaced hope. You are meant for more than failed expectations due to misplaced hope. It's a false hope that believes that spiritual satisfaction is going to come from material acquisition. Hmm. And in that sense, believing in the American dream can become a nightmare. Expectation adjustment required. So James Bond is right, you know, the world is not enough. That's, that's what Jesus is saying here, that you are meant for more than simply this world. It takes more. Here's what I mean. It takes more than a good job, more than a good family, more than a good spouse, more than a good, good, good health, more than a good economy, more than a good, you know what it takes to get you up and keep you going in a world like this? It takes a good God. Expectation adjustment required. So then you know what the voice of temptation, when that thought starts settling in, because I know for some of us, it was like, okay, I'm going to keep maybe, but no. But when that thought starts settling in and you think, well, hey, what if? Then the, the voice continues, doesn't it? That, that voice of temptation, okay, maybe it's not all that you want. I'll grant you that. It's not all. Because who can have it all, really? If you have it all, how am I going to have any? So... See, think about it. So the devil says, you know, it's not all that you want. Maybe it's just more that you need. You just need a little more. You should have more. If you had more, then you could have more fun. You could take more trips. You could get more stuff. You could do more things that you want to do. You deserve it, by the way. I mean, she has it. Why shouldn't you? Surely you're not inferior to her. I mean, he's got it. Shouldn't you have it? One of those? Yeah, I agree. You don't need it all. You just need as much as they have. Maybe a little bit more. Just a little bit more. You ever hear that, boys? I mean, it's not having it all. It's just having as much as the one you happen to be comparing yourself to at this moment. So I just want to have as much as fill in the blank. I mean, after all, I'm worth it, I deserve it, I'm special. You know, I, I'm entitled to a better, uh, a, a better treatment, a special plan that shows how great I am. That was Naaman's contention. And what he discovered, it was false hope that God was wanting to turn a light on for. Expectation adjustment required. Naaman thought, you know, you'll do it my way. I have my expectation, and God's going to have to do it this way in order to meet me. And God said, no, 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 Naaman, you're confused about which one of us is God. You're going to do it my way. Naaman said, oh, I want you to wave your arms, and I want you to say powerful things, and I want you to declare, you know, send me to one of the big rivers that I know, not that dirty Jordan, dirty creek, God said seven times in the Jordan River. That's my plan for you. But he didn't do it to say, because I'm God. You know what he did it for? He did it to free Naaman, to free Naaman and people like us who tend to misplace our hope by putting it in false expectations that we are the ones who set. We set the expectation and then despair for the failure of them. And God is saying, you're confused about who's, who's God in the situation. And then succumbing to the despair of false hope. Couple human pride with envy and coveting and you've got a recipe for disaster. Death by despair. You don't need it all, You all. You should have more. You should have as much. And the next thing you know, you're gasping for breath under this pile of should, right? <laughs> and, and living from should to should. And yet true hope springs from the gift of God that can't be bought, can be received, can't be repaid. It isn't derived from having our circumstantial expectations met. So maybe dictionary.com needs to revisit the story a little bit. Hope isn't derived from having our expectations met. Hope requires expectation adjustment to be made, and so truth slices right through the fog of our deception. And uh, and so the next time when the comparison game asks you to ante up to the table, I have a verse that might help you. Second Corinthians ten: We don't compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. It's what Paul's writing to believers. We don't do that. We don't compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they're not wise. Why? Because it's all about themselves. (laughs) And if that's where your expectation is, you're gonna be disappointed. But when we compare ourselves to others, what they have or don't have, you know what we're doing? We're aiming too low. The true question should be this. Why, what does God desire for us? That's the question that brings hope because God's will is where fulfillment is found. And when that starts settling in on you and you start saying, well, hey, maybe, well, the deceiver's voice doesn't go away, does it? No, no, it winds up again. It says, okay, so, hey, you don't want it all, I get that. You can't really have it all, but, you know, and you're saying you shouldn't have more? Is that what you're telling me? Listen, only losers settle for less. You ever heard that voice? And this whole business, you say God's taking care of you. How's that working out? I mean, why let Him play you? If God doesn't want you to have more, then why trust Him? You know, God must not appreciate what a great person you are. If He does, He'd be treating you better, wouldn't He? I mean, what about the suffering that he doesn't protect you from? What about the things that he won't let you have? I hear that voice whispering sometimes. Jeremiah did too. In fact, I think every follower of Christ eventually is going to hear that same in our culture for sure. And here's what Jeremiah said. You know, I remember that. I remember my affliction, my wandering, the bitterness of it. I'm not in denial about that. It's like gall, you know, I remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yeah, I'm not happy about that either. And yet this, I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. You know, I just had some compassion for breakfast today. Breakfast of champions. Great is your faithfulness, God. And what Jeremiah does, he visits the bitterness, but he turns it into a prayer and then takes a step of faith forward. You ever had a bite of 100% cacao? 100% dark chocolate? (laughs) Right, it's like this stuff, you just want to not keep it in your mouth, right? Um, And yet, how many of you would say chocolate is a major food group in my life? Yeah, so what do you not do? You don't throw it out just because it's bitter. You know what you do? You think, you know, there are things I can do in the kitchen with this that will make bitter better. And so what Jeremiah said, says, you know, when bitterness and gall comes into my life, I I meet God in the kitchen, and he helps me whip up compassion and faithfulness for breakfast before I head out for the new day. And I find that God's going to meet me there. God can help you make bitter better. And the greatest demonstration of that is the cross of Jesus Christ, where he enters into our pain and our suffering and our sin, and he transforms it so that death dies and life lives. And then he says, I want to come live in you. You'll meet me in the kitchen. That's what Paul writes about. He said, Christ in you is your hope of glory. It's not an external thing that you have to go achieve. It's an internal thing that you can receive. When you let Christ come alive in you, he will meet you in life's kitchen and show you how to make bitter better. So how do I respond to the lies of deceitful materialism that are so pervasive in culture? To the lies of pride and envy and covetousness that keep me comparing and shaming me with should, The will of God is how? That's the answer. The Spirit of God working in your spirit helps you understand how much is enough. How do you know when to say when in life? How do you know how much is enough? Well, the Spirit of God is to help you understand how much you need in order to express God's gifting and achieve God's calling in your life. And that's the purpose of life, the will of God. Jesus didn't have much. Jesus didn't live long, but oh my goodness, he was fully in on God's will and plan, and we're still benefiting from it. And we are Christ followers, right? But pastor, you know, Bill, I mean, I just want what I wanted. I thought my life would be different. Is that so bad? Okay, so here, you wake up in midlife, because most all of those age groups were midlife, weren't they? You wake up in midlife, and you're not where you thought you would be. You don't have the job, the family, the kids, the house, the car, the whatever. What do you do when you wake up from the American dream? And your life is not like the brochure. Or as someone said, I find myself standing at the carousel, you know, waiting for my bag to come out, but it never does. Now, I'm not trying to be hard, and maybe this isn't even your issue, but if you know someone who is struggling, here's the lie that we're tempted to believe. It is a misdirected hope, misdirected hope, and here's the cure, seek the will of God. Have a hope adjustment, an expectation adjustment, and then say this, have your way with me, Lord. You're God, not me. And that's why Jesus said, here's how to pray. Not my will, but thy will be done. You know, your kingdom come, my kingdom go, your will be done. When dreams die, where does hope rise? From God in truth. Not lie. God speaks in truth about the fulfillment of his will. So here's what you can do. You can humbly honor God's direction in your life and then find cleansing, healing, and hope. That's what happened to Naaman. Naaman. He had to work through his confusion on this. He had some misguided expectations, right? And then what happened? His skin was as fresh as a little boy. Jesus is our Jordan. You can be washed in his blood. You can be filled with his spirit. You can be adopted into his family. You can be fulfilled in his will. But the voice of the deceiver is very crafty and misguides our expectations into places of false hope that lead to despair and to death. It doesn't take all to live a fulfilled life. It takes the will of God. And God's will can be done in your life if you want it. But it's not a matter of how much you have or how long you live. Jesus didn't have much, Jesus didn't live long, but oh my goodness, had impact eternally. It's how you live that reflects the hope we have. Or as Paul wrote about it, you want to break the spell of materialism? Look at this, don't put your hope in wealth. Put your hope in God, clear, who richly provides us with everything for our what? Enjoyment. <laughs> Circle that one. Oh my goodness, highlight that one in dark ink because here's another lie we believe. God doesn't really want you to enjoy it. But we're going to get to lies about God next week. Lies we believe that keep us trapped. And he says, here's the way out. Take the step of humility and learn this. Down can be up. Less can be more. When God is in it, expectation adjustment required. But when we make the turn, then God will meet us and lead us forward. So what can you do? Number one. Evaluate your expectations. Where are you turning for hope right now? What gets you up in the morning? What keeps you going through the day? And when do you feel let down when it doesn't happen? Then evaluate your expectations. What's driving you? Do a daily checkup. Number two, what, when expectations are misplaced, then adjust them. <laughs> Have an expectation adjustment. And then number three, lean into God's will because that's where the fullness is. When you know God's will, Do it. Some of you are thinking, well, I don't know what God's will is. Okay, ask the Holy Spirit. What's the last thing you asked me to do? And see if he tells you, did you do it? Then go back to what he told you to do and take that step. And then you'll be ready for the next one. And then the next one. And then the next one. But just go back to the last time you knew God was speaking and ask the Holy Spirit to take you there. He's supposed to help remind us of these things and then say, yes, Lord, I'll go with you. And what you might discover is what Jeremiah did when he was quoting God and writing this. God says, I know the plans I have for you. I do have plans for you. But they're not plans to harm you. They're plans to prosper you, to give you hope and a future. Did you pray with me? Thank you, God, that you feel, that you know, that you see the longings and the the desires that we have for fulfillment, but that you also know where the true satisfaction comes from. Lead us there today. For somebody who's been tangled up in this, we pray that the light of your truth would slice through the fog and show them the next step to take. And friend, if that's you, would you just say to the Lord right now, I'm willing, I'll take the next step with you. Not my will, but your will. God, I'm willing to do your will. And I'm praying for your will in my marriage, for your will in my family, for your will in my business, in my finances, for your will in my health, for your will in my life. Heavenly Father, your kingdom come and your will, be done and friend if you're on the front end of your spiritual journey and you're trying to and you're wondering where can I experience hope well Christ in you is the hope of glory and you can invite Jesus Christ to come in to your spirit heart mind and soul right now Lord Jesus I open my life to you I receive you I welcome you and I ask you to align my expectations to your desires, to what will truly bring fulfillment. And I receive the gift of your forgiveness as I turn from my way to go your way and invite you to lead me into the fullness of your expectations in my life. Now, if you just prayed to open your life to Jesus Christ and would let me ask God's blessing upon you, can I ask you simply, while our heads are still bowed, to just raise your hand and let me see just for a moment. Thank you, sir, across to the, to the wall, right here in the front, God bless you. Over to my right, toward the, toward the wall as well. There in the middle, in the center, God bless you. Let's pray for each one. Lord, thank you for every hand that is raised and every heart that is open, for those joining us online who likewise have just said, I'm raising my hand. We pray that the blessing of your hope would realign their expectations and you would begin filling them with your spirit and guiding them into truth even now as we make our prayer in your name, amen.